Hey, Holons. On this week's show and in episode four, I'm over in Melbourne chatting with the brilliant Tim Calliday about artificial intelligence and entrepreneurship. Tim and I met as civil engineers and entrepreneurs at GHD in 2018, and he's now incubated at YBF Ventures in Melbourne as a mathematician and software developer and the founder of Picard.ai. Tim and I chat about his journey as a corporate entrepreneur and why his passion for artificial intelligence and entrepreneurship was the deciding factor in leaving a full-time job to start Picard. Alright, hey guys, I'm here in uh, Melbourne uh, at YBF Ventures with Tim Calliday, the founder of Picard AI. Welcome, Tim. Thanks. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, just to get us started? Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm a well, ex-civil engineer turned um, sort of entrepreneur, software developer. Um, I've been uh, running Picard for the last um, six months or so, which is an AI company that essentially develops software for a whole lot of different industries um, and tries to pair new AI research with, um, with, with problems that could, could benefit from, from AI solutions. And so those tend to be um, focused around um, industries where Internet of Things is becoming popular or large sort of sources of data and they need to um, find ways to make optimum use of that. Or otherwise, just industries that are looking to, um, you know, gain efficiencies. They've maybe gone through their digital revolution and uh, are now uh, ready for the next thing. Um, and usually, that involves some uh, more complex use of their data. So, um, yeah, I, I was a civil engineer for about um, three years, at a, and I really enjoyed doing that work and enjoyed doing a little bit of uh, entrepreneurship, sort of on the side, um, had a, a real estate um, themed sort of app for taking 360 photos uh, for a while and that's, that's still going on the side a little bit but uh, sort of taking my focus away from that for now but yeah, yeah, I've just obviously have, you know, my finger in a lot of pies and uh, just enjoy, um, you know, working on a diverse range of different problems and so that's why I think I've gravitated towards doing the work that I'm doing now because uh, an opportunity to work in so many different uh, industries. So, so many um, industries have a, a potential to benefit from the capabilities that AI is sort of bringing. Yeah. Mm. So can you break down like artificial intelligence in like layman's terms, maybe for some of the listeners that aren't, are pretty new to, the, to it as a concept or an emerging field? Of... Yeah, yeah, sure. So most people will be familiar with um, some of the like, you know, your Siri or your um, those Alexa and those kinds of things, which maybe align more with people's pop culture understanding of AI as being some kind of um, virtual um, intelligence that you can talk to or that can, you know, think for itself. But um, the the reality in the AI that I deal most with is, is not really that. It's um, really a collection of, of technologies and tools that are, are very broad and uh, pr- pretty loosely... Uh, sort of come under that phrase AI um, and I think the thing that they all have in common is that it's uh, 
a computer doing something that would usually require a, a human intelligence to, to accomplish. So um, anything that requires some sort of complex thought or reasoning or uh, human built-in ability like being able to interpret um, an image, for instance, and know what is within that image uh, is a classic example of, of AI, but that's something that you, um, you you would typically need a human to do or to understand sound. You need to be a, an animal or a human to be able to do that. But um, AI is essentially the reason why algorithms that can do that are called AIs because typically they would require a, a human intelligence. So, um, But then it also extends beyond that because it then starts looking at um, things that are even maybe a human uh, could do if they had enough time, but the fact that AI is a computer and able to process massive amounts of data, it has certain advantages that people don't have so um, it can potentially be monitoring whereas one human maybe to give you a simple example might be monitoring a, a video feed to know whether there's you know somebody trying to break in for instance a security guard um, now you replace that human with an AI because it's got the scalability of a computer you can have one AI monitoring 10,000 video feeds and being able to identify whether somebody's trying to break in on one of those feeds or not. And so it's that scalable scalability act, um, aspect. Now, the, but the thing is that it's um, a big part of it is that you're actually really only, in each of these applications, only looking at one specific aspect of intelligence. So a human, although we think perhaps more holistically on that as an intelligent being because it can think and um, reason and you know interact and do all these complex tasks um, but when you actually start to break it down what appears to be a single intelligent being doing a single intelligent activity is actually a whole lot of um, like sub capabilities if you like um, so something as simple as having a phone conversation with somebody so you, if you actually break that down into all the subcomponents that, that or activities that are required to do that, you have to have motor skills to be able to control, you know, your hand to hold the phone and you, your tongue, and to actually make all the movements. You have to be able to that, and that's an incredibly complex task. You have to be able to formulate um, what it is that you're trying to say. Uh, in abstract terms and then turn it into a language that's another incredibly complex task you have to be able to um, interpret sound waves vibrations of the air into abstract concepts that you're then able to process and work out a, an appropriate response you um, there's so even something that seems simple I guess all I'm getting at is that has all these subcomponents, and what you're doing with AI is typically you're taking one of those components and you're using and you're implementing an algorithm that does that. And it's sometimes you, you're able to combine a, one or two, 
but in and some of these components are very advanced in terms of AI. Like our image recognition is on par, if not exceeding, in many cases, human abilities at image recognition if it's a well-trained algorithm. Um, whereas reasoning, so something as simple as like just just basic logic, like um, an understanding this jar is on top of this table. Therefore, if I ask the question, "Is the jar below the table?" Then the answer is clearly no. But very few AIs have the capability to answer that question. Mm because that requires some sort of abstract reasoning, concepts of above and below and that mm. kind of thing. So that's an area that AI is very weak in. And so it's weak in common sense, but it's very strong in other aspects of intelligence. And mm. so I guess what I'm saying with that is that um, we've got these little, these, these specific aspects of, of intelligence and the, the excitement around AI is that you can take those and you can use them to automate tasks that would typically require those aspects of intelligence. And so whether that's automating, working out, you know, um, like the example before, monitoring a, some sort of data feed, whether it's a sound or video or something else, and doing that at scale and, and, and intelligence there, or whether it's... Um, something like planning out ahead and, and thinking of all the possible outcomes and scenarios uh, that requires intelligence in terms of what could happen. So if you're thinking about something like Uber uses AI um, to try and think, okay, I can move this driver to this location, but they might also get a request from somewhere else or this location somewhere else, but then there's another car that is moving in that sort of direction, and so if they don't get a request before that time, then the probability is this. And uh, you know, a person could sit down if they got a snapshot of all the Uber drivers in an area and all the requests they're currently responding to, and and really nut out. Okay, under all the different possible scenarios, where should I send this car, um, or where should I direct my Uber driver to go? Um, and an intelligent person could do that and probably make a, a good decision. But what if you've got to do that everywhere in the world all at once mm. and you've got to do it every you know, 10 seconds? You've got to reroute and work out where you're sending your drivers and do that. Mm. Then you, you need an army of people to do it and, you could, and even then probably not enough. So that's where that power of, okay, we're taking a, a, a task that AI is quite good at, planning ahead, and, and thinking about and analysing potential probabilities and potential scenarios to find an optimum and we're then applying it at scale in order to automate that task which would not even be possible to do um, with manual labour because it would be too expensive. So in some cases it's automating processes that are already being done by people and it's creating efficiencies because that person no longer has to do that task which is Usually it's a, it's a mundane task if AI can do it. Um, or it's enabling new capabilities that have never been possible before simply because it would have been prohibitively expensive to pay the amount of people to do that task. Um, so at the moment we're working on a project looking at flash flood forecasting. It's the same kind of thing. You could have somebody monitoring all the rain gauges in Melbourne 24-7, and especially when it rains, and you could have an army of people doing that and 
they would be able to tell you which areas are likely to flood, but that would be so expensive um, because they'd be interpreting that data and you know they'd be able to map it out or work out which areas are about to get a lot of rain and look at the the bomb radar and all those things. Whereas the power of AI is saying, well, you don't actually need a you know a massive number of staff constantly monitoring this. You can just set up an AI that can monitor all that stuff at once and tell you exactly what you need to know. So that that's really where the, the power of it is, yeah. Yeah, really cool. Um, can you tell us a bit, you wrote a great blog on your LinkedIn about this, but can you tell us a bit about why you called your company Picard? Yeah, um, it's it's always, um, always tricky to think of a name for a, a startup these days. You can add Fi or Lee to the end of any any <laughs> word. That's the, the typical way um, because everything else is trademarked or um, or you can't get the domain name. So I was looking for a .ai and everything I wanted was gone. And then you know you get deeper and deeper with the research into your name and like going more and more abstract and and out out there. But I kind of love the idea of invention and what I was doing was essentially similar to what. You know Thomas Edison was doing back in the day where he was taking a new technology at the time which was electricity and he was just building all these inventions based around that technology which is what I want sort of hoping to do with with uh, AI and so I was looking on that theme of um, inventions and inventors and I was searching and I came across this guy Picard and uh, who's probably a li- not a well-known inventor um, I'd never heard of him but is this uh, Swiss uh, guy who is he's not just an inventor, he's also mainly a scientist, he's a physicist, and um, he, in order to conduct his research, so it would have been in the 1700s, I think, maybe 1800s, uh, he, it was in a time when nobody had uh, been to the bottom of the ocean, nobody had really been very high, um, in a hot air balloon and he actually invented a special chamber to hold him just so that he could go up in higher into the sky to conduct his physics experiments um, in, into the stratosphere or wherever it is that you, you can't actually survive in the open air but you need this, this chamber and he was a pretty eccentric dude and he was actually the um, he was the inspiration for the um, Tintin character um, Professor Calculus so somehow this this guy knew Herge or Herge, I don't know how you say his name, but um, and um, and so he, he he was he was a lot taller, but he, he looked kind of similar to Professor Calculus, who's this eccentric sort of mad nutty professor um, from Tintin. And um, a funny story that I saw was that he actually, um, on one occasion, was about to launch his hot air balloon, and the German authorities, he was he was. A, I don't know, maybe the Swiss also Swiss authorities, but uh, he they they came and and they wanted to stop him because they thought what he was doing was dangerous, and he um, and so they, the reason they they found to be able to stop him was that they weren't wearing helmets and they decreed that helmets must be worn, and so these guys went and got some baskets with pillows and they <laughs> stuck them on their head and, and then jumped into their you know hot air balloon and took off. Uh, in order to you know get around the, the helmet 
rule. So I, I kind of like that um, that spirit of sort of defying, you know, the the set of you know perhaps the established authorities and um, you know and that sense of entrepreneurship and adventure um, mm. and. And yeah, so he was also an explorer. He also was, you know, explored the deep sea in in a similar kind of chamber that he he designed. So he built he built it himself. And mm. um, so I just kind of thought that that was pretty inspiring and as good a a, a name as any to uh, sort of name a company. And you know, domain name was available, Picard.ai. <laughs> so yeah, brilliant. Went with that. Yeah, it's a really cool story. I love. I've actually I remember reading your blog and using that image. I think it's a really cool metaphor for, um, we started a little group back in Perth called the Dead Poets Society for Innovators and we, we used to yeah. use that image. So right. that was very inspiring even over in the West. That's a really cool story. Um, on, the, on that note, we might maybe swing the conversation now to chat not just about entrepreneurship, but about intrapreneurship. Mm, mm. And I was um, chatting with Jason Shaw, um, who's a digital innovation leader at GHD, about this at Pause Fest a couple of days ago. She did a talk on it. But... I mean, to many people at GHD, you're sort of seen as a, while you were at GHD as a, as a full-time employee, as an entrepreneur. Mm. Um, do you want to talk a bit through that experience about getting some of the these, you know, great ideas off the ground, being at, you know, you were at the sort of fourth, you were a really smart guy at the forefront of some of these like latest digital technologies. Mm. Um, how'd you go sort of in a big corporate environment, being sort of, you know, innovative and, and out there and creative with some of the your thinking and ideas mm, mm. yeah it was it was um it was a challenge and it was at a time when i was trying to find my feet a little bit as a as an entrepreneur still finding my feet to be honest but uh <laughs> perhaps even more green back then than i am than i am now and that so it was a good it was a good learning thing um but ultimately, it became a bit of an exercise in frustration, which was unfortunate because the there was a lot of support and there was a lot of goodwill um, from my manager, from the um, the innovation sort of dedicated innovation team. There um, had a lot of people who were so. To give you a bit of background context, I had a couple of ideas for specific apps that I thought would be really valuable for, for DHT to invest in, um, both in terms of being useful for our um, our staff to use. So, um, in short, the idea was similar kind of 360 capture thing that you can do with Facebook 360, but for engineers on site visits, mm. because the frustration being that you often take a lot of photos out on site and there's, there's no real pattern of you're often working out, trying to work out where you were standing or scrolling through all the photos and 360 photos are just a much better way to have, you know, Google Street View style thing, um, but when you're out on a, a site where you can't access with Google Street View. So mm -hmm. that was the idea that I wanted to put get, get up. And so, it, and I still think it's a good idea. I, I still think it's some, worth doing. Um, <laughs> it's not like I decided it was no good. Uh, and... What I found was that as I was trying to go through all the motions of trying to get this specific idea up and get people's buy-in and talk, talk to a lot of people from a lot of different groups and from around the country, from around the country all the way up to um, the, you know, 
the CFO level to try and get funding for this project, which is not going to be a huge amount of money in the scheme of things. Uh, but the fact was that the, the company, the organisation, was not set up to be able to fund this kind of thing. Mm. Um, and now they were working on, at the time, a new fund to for organic growth and new activities and new business ventures. But even that, and that was new and that was groundbreaking, even though that seems like a bit of a no-brainer that if something's got a ROI that you should invest in it. Um, but that was that was new for them. Uh, but even that was still confined by a short-term sort of, here's your business case, here's, here's what your cash flow is going to be, here's what you're going to, you know, here's what the investment is, here's the ROI. And we had to do that and go through that framework and that was never going to work for an app. That that maybe works when you're going to acquire a new, you know, company or hire or hire a new um, expert to then start a new aspect of the business because you you know there's a demand for it. Mm. But when you're talking about um, anything tech innovation startup kind of thing, uh, then that kind of model just doesn't apply. Mm. Um, and so. It was a big learning thing for me to just to learn how the organisation worked and why certain things were hard to achieve and why other things were, you know, not so not so hard to achieve. Um, where the barriers were, where the drivers were, and so I really appreciated that. But ultimately, the decision that I made was that that environment was not going to be the right environment for me to be in as a entrepreneur. So. I, not that I'm not a believer in entrepreneurship, don't get me wrong. I think that um, certain types of projects are well suited to, in, and, and initiative, initiatives are really well suited to in, entrepreneurships. And I think entrepreneurs are extremely valuable in terms of driving organisational and cultural change. Um, and I think, and and for some of those some of those things, which as we talked about before the podcast. Um, Perhaps they're not driven by short-term ROI, but by you know employee engagement or other other things that are going to have those kind of benefits. Mm. Um, for instance, I was involved in the reconciliation action plan sort of uh, implementation group, and I see that as being an entrepreneurship of sorts because yeah. we were trying to drive a change within the organisation and really try and start doing things new. And find and doing new initiatives and trying to find new ways to um, start building up um, awareness of uh, you know indigenous issues and things like that. And um, so I'm I'm still a fan of entrepreneurship, but I've come to realise since leaving and being now in the, in a totally different environment of being in a, a co-working space with other startups and trying trying more to be selling into these kind of organisations from the outside, that there's a reason why innovation happens in the way that it does, that it's funded not by companies, that's funded by primarily venture capital firms, who that's their risk profile, not because, and, and to be honest, that in many ways is what it boils down to, is a venture capitalist is willing to take a big punt um, because they rely on one in ten having massive return, whereas that risk doesn't. Just most big corporations, especially if they're talking about reputation risk, um, let alone financial risk, just is not 
uh, is not their their profile, their risk profile. And so, the fact that it happens the way it does, that a company gets a little bit of traction, gets some seed funding from a VC or some angel investors, and then gets to a point where their their product is well established and built, and they can then go and just take it as a nice package product and sell it into a mm. a company like JHD. Uh, works well because entrepreneurs work better in that freedom where they're not driven by a short-term ROI and they're not you know having to please the you know the established sort of um, senior management at the corporate they, they're free to go off and just focus on their product and do what they need to do and they have the networks that they need to be able to do that but then the the corporate benefits as well because when that reaches the level of maturity that the risk profile is then it's, it's a clear return on investment that we're going to just either buy that product or acquire that company and we already know that it's making money and we already know that it's a good investment then they then get to benefit from it so I think the thing the disconnect and where I was perhaps barking up the wrong tree and finding the frustration was trying to get the funding from the from GHD the corporate to do work which really should have been funded in another way mm. and not the thinking was right the customer mindset the the value proposition was all there but it was the that risk appetite and the funding model that I think where it fell short and unless your company has a dedicated innovation fund for commercializing new ideas then it's going to be the same wherever you are um, and incidentally I've ran into similar frustrations um, now outside of GHD selling into these kinds of organisations because once again I'm trying to sell them a new product something that they haven't used before and that they don't know necessarily is going to work and that becomes difficult to like get the right approvals and get um, the the traction that I need and you really need a champion with someone with a little bit of influence in the organisation to make it work but that's the same for any startup who's trying to do B2B sales in the early stages you know it's just it's a tough it's a tough gig, but I think it's much tougher when you're trying to sell to the one team within your organisation. Whereas I can go out and if GHD don't want my product, then maybe I'll go to you know Jacobs or go somewhere else who, who might be interested. You've got a lot bigger pool of potential um, customers. You only need to find one who's willing to give you a chance. Whereas when you're restricted to the corporate environment, you know you've you've, you've got you know your dedicated people who are going to be able to say yes or no, but who have you got outside of that? So, yeah, that that, that was my experience. Um, it was sort of a great great learning experience, and um, uh, and I don't I still do a bit of work at JHC. You know, there's no hard feelings. I still enjoy and I enjoy working there. They're a great company, but um, that was that was just how how it went, and I'm glad that it went that way. I'm glad that I made the decision to move on because I think it's broadened my opportunities. Mm. Yeah, thanks for sharing. That's really, really great insight. Um, so one of the themes on the podcast is this idea of um, leveling up from a smart city. So there's a lot of conversation um, in Perth and in I think um, in capital cities these days about this concept of becoming a smart city, and that's sort of the role that digital techno- technology plays, like um, AI, Internet of Things, cloud computing. Um, you know, being able to use all this digital te- technology to sense and see a system and, and drive efficiencies and that sort of thing, mm. transport, all this sort of stuff. We like to sort of, there's a group in Perth um, and sort of the inspiration for the podcast is what if we leveled up from that and talk more about the role that humans play in cities in the future of, and this is why I sort of 
left GHD myself to work for Holonic in the sort of circular economy space. What's your interpretation of a brilliant city? Um, what might like what role might Picard and AI play in that? And and what role does a human play in the city in the future? Mm. Yeah, I think it's really great to think in those terms uh, of in, in when you're talking about innovation. Uh, you're right in saying that we do tend to just talk about the tech and really I think it's more about if you, if you want to use a tech term it's about user experience and what is people's experience of being in that city whether they're living there whether they're working there um, or, or visiting and there's a lot of things that, that go into you know people's experience of, of, of a city um, it is the, those technical things of how they interact. Is the transport good? Is it clean? Is it, um, yeah, the, you know, is it relatively um, green and pleasant uh, sort of environment? Is, does, is the public transport running on time? All those kinds of um, aspects go into it, but I think it is. Absolutely, it's a holistic thing. It's is people what is people's well being, what's their mental health, uh, like, um, are hugely important. And no thing can, in isolation, I think, uh, is is enough. I think it's, it's the coming together of all these things. And I guess in Melbourne, we've probably got a good example. You know, we we're supposedly one of the top sort of cities in terms of livability, and. I, I can sort of appreciate that, but I guess the the question then becomes: Well, what what next? How how can we go further? What would make it even more of a, a brilliant city to be in? Um, and that's and and in particular, how how can AI help to to bring that about? So. One thing that springs to mind is is safety and people's feeling of welfare and feeling safe. Um, and I know that there's been some research done with the, the app that sort of allowed people to report how they were feeling, whether they were feeling safe or not safe in certain areas around the CBD. And there was some area, and that that showed a lot of insight about you know harassment and that kind of stuff that was going on and I think AI is powerful in being able to track that kind of data, that spatial data, that how it's moving, how it's changing, what areas are cropping up as hotspots, what, um, and then also utilising, you know, whether it's that automated CCTV sort of monitoring, not, not talking about like a big brother scenario, but if you've, you know, if you've got a chance to make things safer by just some sort of automated um, system that can can monitor what's going on and help prevent crimes before they occur or harassment and that kind of thing um, then that's there's a big opportunity to I think go further in that uh, with with the use of AI um, the other and that's that's very much a people well-being sort of aspect um, Another one is just in terms of a, a, 
and this is a common theme with AI, that efficiency or I think another way of talking about efficiency is less waste. And I don't necessarily mean physical waste. I mean wasted effort, wasted resources um, that didn't have to be used. And that's essentially what efficiency is. It's like saying, well, you could collect all these bins and you could do it in the way you've always done it and it will take you and you'll have to employ 10 people and five, five trucks. Or you could do it in a more efficient way and you can do it with you know, three trucks and that's less wasted fuel, less, wa- less wasted sort of resources, those people who could be doing productive work in, in some other aspect of the economy. Um, and so I think that what AI is enabling is efficiencies and automation that is reducing wasted effort, wasted time and wasted resources which do end up in, in landfill as well mm. uh, and that that I think and whether that's optimising routes of different services, whether that's um, making better use of the infrastructure that we've, infrastructure that we've got how, how are you scheduling your, you know, your trains and your trams in order to get 100% you know, utilisation out of those at the time when they're needed and uh, and that has a big impact on people's quality of life. Mm. You know, how can you get more out of your existing sort of transport network without having to build massive new underground tunnels or stuff? Mm. So that is a big part of it. And I think that the uh, AI combined with um, sensor data, which is increasingly being rolled out, is going to have a big part to play in squeezing that, those extra 20 30% you know, efficiency from what we're already doing, which is already pretty efficient, but I think uh, yeah, there's a lot more opportunity to, to make more of that, and then it just frees up resources to then spend you know, the council only has a limited budget and if half their budget you know, is going to stuff that potentially is, is wasted effort wasted resources, then that it's just, it's just simple sort of um, you know, maths and accounting that that's taken away from other initiatives that could be providing a more holistic benefit. So that that's a pretty <laughs> indirect way of saying that I think you know, AI has, has potential to impact a whole lot of areas about city livability. Yeah. yeah. Cool, thanks Tim. We might wrap it up there. Mm-hmm. Um, any closing remarks? No, not, not really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Calliday, um, Picard AI, check out his website, check him out on LinkedIn. Thanks for your time, Tim. Yeah, thanks, Dylan. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another show, guys. Next week, I'm chatting with... Next week, I'm chatting with Miles Coker, a mentor of mine, a brilliant engineer, human-centered designer, innovation facilitator. Miles is a strategic designer with GHD Digital, and Miles has done some fantastic work from Northern Territory, rural Victoria, uh, even South America. And Miles is really passionate about social change and community-led innovation. Hope you can join us.